Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experiences of field, and to share our members' stories. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back and enjoy the show. All right, let's do it. Episode four, we are in Charleston, South Carolina. Man, I had a lot of fun on this one. Our guest this week is the one and only Jason Hart of Marilina Outdoor. Many of you may know it as hook fishing, nomad hunting brand, all things turkey hunting, Jason Hart. We're in the Marilina office. Let's sit down and have a conversation. Let's go. Well, welcome in uh, to Turkey Call All Access podcast, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, on location in Charleston, South Carolina, with the one and only Jason Hart, Maryland Outdoors, Hook Nomad Brands, sitting in his office. Howdy, Fred. That's great to be here. Glad you're back in Charleston, man. First time in five years you came down when our company was just uh, in its infancy, and we became buddies a long time ago. Man, great to have you back. We um, did a little fishing this morning out in the uh, Charleston Harbor for redfish and trout, and the local sports talk radio station said that it was absolutely on fire last week and for the last 10 days, and unfortunately, we did not uh, have a great morning. That's all right. It was a good time. It sure absolutely beat being in the office and uh, having to deal with uh, uh, the stresses of a common work day around here. I'll I'll certainly take it. I finally was able to boat my first redfish. Yeah, man. You didn't catch one on the first trip. No. Yeah. Couldn't catch a cold yeah, on the first absolutely. trip. <laughs> you can add another species of fish to your yeah. life list now. Yeah, yeah, good fighting little fish. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, I kept saying it over and over again. The The diversity of habitat in this state is wonderful. Going from, so I, I was down in Edgefield at the beginning of the week, um, getting some stuff done as we gear up for our convention. Uh, mark your calendars because it's happening. <laughs> we will be in Heck Nashville yeah. in 2022. And uh, made the uh, we had the opportunity that you were in town. I was in town, so came over to the coast. And you know, you go from that that area of Edgefield, South Carolina, and you come out to the coast, and it is very different. This state, South Carolina, and I love to brag on my. Uh, I you know, I wasn't born here, but moved here when I was right when i turned eight years old it's such a diverse state so i went to college we're we're in charleston which is part of the south carolina is considered the low country and uh the the part of uh where edgefield is is kind of considered the mid-state or the sand hills and then once you go further north like where i went to college at clemson university uh it's you know it's completely different it's the foothills of the blue ridge mountains which is the base of the appalachian mountains so yeah. you, you can go to the you know up up to the the uh the northwest corner of the state on the georgia uh north carolina line and i mean it's rugged appalachian mountains whereas if you look out the back door here if you walk 20 yards you're going to be in a swamp and yeah right now when we walk outside we got a little pet alligator that likes to hang out in our pond uh 
that that, uh, that we nicknamed George. He, uh, you know, George is right here, and then uh, so yeah, man, South Carolina is a very very diverse state, and it's uh, you know a lot of a lot of sporting opportunities. And uh, you know, this morning I was late uh, getting to the boat just because of the traffic. Unfortunately, a lot of people are taking advantage of that. And uh, my hometown here, and uh, y'all grew up in a town called Somerville, right by here, is just absolutely blown up with as many other parts. So it's uh, it is definitely getting. Uh, getting a lot more crowded around here it's a busy area coming over the uh the big bridge there i mean i i don't remember there being foot traffic there were people outdoor recreating getting outside exercising riding bikes and plenty of vehicular traffic to go with it so it's a busy spot absolutely well fred i was joking that you're from you know, you being from New England, uh, it seems like an awful lot of folks from the New England, New York City, Connecticut, new from the Northeast are moving down here. And I, I you know, I made uh, I made the joke uh, a little while ago to a coworker that uh, while we were having uh, lunch in Mount Pleasant. Uh, that there was a lot more people. I, my accent was completely out of place here mm. in my hometown, as opposed to as opposed to you. And you ran into folks that are a lot. And it's you know it's just people people are getting out of the cities and moving yeah. down here. And uh, so that's just this day and age, in particular post COVID. So you hope that or COVID still going on, not yeah. really post COVID. You hope that they they leave their. Uh... <laughs> Their habits <laughs> where they left, right? Because obviously people are leaving yeah. in droves for a reason. So they t- that happened in New Hampshire. Oh, so when yeah. I was a boy, New Hampshire uh, was just completely different. It was um, it just was different. I have no better way to say it. So people would move from Massachusetts North or other parts. Of, you know, same kind of thing back in the late '80s, early '90s, and they they masked it up. That's oh we yeah, well, I, you know, it's 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 happening to a lot of other parts, uh, but tra- you know, right around here, Charleston in particular, and you know, it's great. And I'm I'm uh, I've been fortunate that I've been to every state in the, the country and and have friends all over the country, and you know, but it's uh, it's definitely different. And it's happening in states like Texas. Like I, I saw yeah. some lights, I saw some bumper stickers when I was recently in Texas. It says "Keep your LA out of Texas," yeah. and obviously Montana is uh, the the TV show Yellowstone is is focusing on how Los Angeles is moving out of the Bozeman, Montana area, and it's mm. becoming the new chic place, Austin, Texas, and here at Charleston, South Carolina, and then Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, right up the road. We're two of the fastest growing metropolitan areas in the country, along with Nashville, along with Austin, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's happening. But it's uh, it's it's America. That's what it's goes on. And I suppose uh, the more rural areas, there's not uh, as much to offer for uh, entertainment wise, right? So for us, it's it's a paradise. Oh, we yeah. know exactly what to do and. You know, it's why we like to be out there. So for now, uh, in large part, I think a lot of these rural areas are safe i hope yeah yeah absolutely well it's a you know i bought uh, my my commute's now an hour and 20 minutes here to this office because you know my whole life i've you know obviously i've grown up hunting and fishing but i i finally i said you know what i'm tired of having neighbors so i found a very remote place about an hour and 20 minutes from here and yeah the commute's not exactly fun in the morning but you know a couple nights ago i met my newest uh, late night friends that'll hopefully be joining me come turkey season in my yard and you know two big old owls and we were Mm -hmm. having a little hooting contest at about midnight two nights ago and that's you know you definitely can't get that in the city lights no but even still right so we're out in the water and you know i was beginning to remark is that there's so much wildlife there's so much going on you you see the the vehicles driving by on the cities you can see the heartbeat of charleston off into the distance and all this stuff is going on yet 
You got, you know, I saw Rosebill. Oh, yeah, you're all fired up to see some dolphins, you know, some Dolph- porpoise. You're yeah, like, oh, my man. gosh, there's dolphins. And, yeah, there's Pelicans obviously. hanging around. Yeah, and- man. And, you know, what's crazy is, uh, you know, my buddies that are fishing captains are just bragging on how good the fishing down here in Charleston for redfish and trout are going to be this fall. The fishery is doing fantastic. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with our uh, South Carolina Department of Natural Resources and, uh, you know, the different, uh, you know, the different size structure, the different length structures and, um, you know, that they put on these fisheries. So, you know, it's done. A, they've done a fantastic job managing in our local uh, fleet of captains is really good from a conservation standpoint. So. So, yeah, there are a lot of opportunities. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's like anything else. It's like any species, whether you're talking about the wild turkey or whether you're talking about redfish or trout, you know, anything that's a renewable resource that that you can. It's a, from a consumptive sport such as hunting and fishing. You know, as long as it's managed right, it can continue to, to grow. And that's what that's why we have wildlife professionals out there and wildlife and fishery and marine biologists that can uh, can determine that so so yeah this is a cool part of the world and uh you know obviously from right here where you're standing when i was when i was growing up you know like i said charleston has developed when i was growing up where we're sitting right now was a big massive hunting club Mm. it was owned by the one of the largest families in the world but you see how much all of this has developed so uh when i was a kid i mean it's deer and turkey there's there's turkeys within a mile of us right now there's eastern diamondback rattlesnakes, which yeah. should be considered an endangered species, but it's kind of tough to get a, a venomous snakeless endangered <laughs> species here in the south. Like, but yeah, I mean, yeah, man, we got deer. There's there's black bear within 15 miles of here, and uh, uh, you know, I just hope that uh, you know, I hope development doesn't doesn't absolutely take everything off. But you know, just to make certain that my home is a little bit out of the way, that's why yeah. I moved about an hour and 20 minutes from here. So I think what's nice about the area too is you know, as we talk about um, the rise of of the new face of hunting or outdoor recreating in our space where everybody in the last 18 months rediscovered the wild. Not everybody, but a good portion. We saw a big bump in license sales, fishing, hunting. Um, you know, with that comes, comes challenges for people that live in, in big built-up cities. But here, like... You know, if you're not hunting, there's a ton of fishing access here. Oh, yeah. Able to get out. Absolutely. And- well, I mean, yeah, it's definitely definitely a destination. And, you know, that that is true. I was reading the... Um read a magazine in the airport this week about usa today and i was having a conversation with um, two of my good friends uh, dr fred simonton and his wife ma simonton and you know she asked me a question knowing that i'm on the nwtf foundation board and that i make my living in the, the hunting industry and stay very very connected to the conservation side and a lot of state biologists are my friends and a lot of uh, you know a lot of university biologists she goes is hunting you know, is hunting declining because for so long, you know, we've been told as an industry that, that hunting is declining in population. I, I really think COVID kicked chart started that and i read an article in usa today's hunting magazine that i saw at the airport and yeah license sales nationwide are up five percent from covid state like nevada is up 30 percent mm-hmm. so you know uh, you know obviously you have to judge license sales and the entire r3 movement's gaining a lot of traction but i think one of the silver linings of covid uh is is the fact that a lot of people got outside you know they couldn't go to and and people are sticking to it you know our the hunting industry is is at an all-time you know the the hunting industry is doing great outside of supply chain issues, which are taking place globally right, right now as we record this podcast, and it's affected our company. But you know, 
when we get product, we sell out. And, you know, COVID, we were scared to death. Everybody was scared to death. But now our, our, our business is thriving. Now, you know, obviously a conservation group like NWTF had a lot difficult time because their revenues generated through, you know, the banquet system. And um, But, yeah, I think hunting is in a very good place right now. And But, you know, like you said, some of the challenges are uh, – are bringing new people to the woods you know i'm i've been very guilty of that i have a lot of people that are non-hunters that would like to go um you know some of them are lady friends some of them are buddies of mine that i got a good buddy of mine used to be a, a workout partner we lived together in baltimore he's never he never killed a deer but he'd like to and he yeah. like to eat it because he knows and you know he's moved down here he moved out of the city of baltimore and to raise his family down here and now he's become an avid fisherman because he wants to take his kids fishing and there's a lot of that you know it's yep. a lot of the people our age that did not grow up around it and you know you and i were very fortunate to to do so and been doing it for a while there's a lot of people our age that don't know it's intimidating i mean you go in yep. a hunting store and you don't know what you're looking for or you don't know what kind of gun and you know it's uh it's definitely intimidating so that's that's one of the challenges but you know fortunately this day and age with the internet you know you can find out a lot about how to do anything that's but exactly right. it's definitely uh you know obviously some of the challenges are you know public land and then private lands getting getting leased up and becoming more and more expensive so uh, you know that's the that's the slippery slope. We obviously want more hunters out there, but we you know we definitely uh, you know it's uh, spent a lot of time talking to um, my buddy, you know, Dr. Brett Collier at LSU and Dr. Mike Chamberlain, especially during the whole COVID, and my other buddy Jay Cantrell is our assistant big game coordinator here in uh, South Carolina, just about the wild turkey and about the. Uh, you know, the, the amount of hunters. Obviously, spring of 2020 was an all-time big year for people hunting. And throughout the eastern wild turkeys range, the eastern wild turkey got pounded. Yeah. So that's the slippery slope is, yeah, man, we want more hunters. But, you know, when, uh, you know, the, you know, hopefully there's not going to be another crazy, you know, type of pandemic that causes everybody to, to, to go out like they did. You know, the, the state agencies were unprepared for that. There was no way to set regulations, set the season. So... You know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting how state agencies, which you know control the game, and then some from a federal standpoint. You know, when you're talking about waterfowl and things like that, control control limits and and manages it. Uh, you know, there's a there's a fine line as far as hunter recruitment, and then yeah. you know, obviously, I think spring of 2020, we may have just had too many, and the at least the eastern wild turkey took a took a big hit. But the good news is, is you know, I've kept up all across the country the 2021 hatch. I think throughout most of the eastern wild turkeys range, it's pretty daggum good. Yeah. I know around here. Um, you know, obviously, this is very unscientifically based. This is based off of, you know, all of my—I don't know how many people I keep up with concerning turkeys, but obviously, being a hardcore turkey hunter, so many people relate it to me. They'll send me pictures of poults and yeah. got game warden friends around here. That just seems like it seems like it's been a banner year uh, when all the research comes out. And I may be wrong, but uh, but but hopefully, hopefully, the the wild turkey had a good good hatch this spring throughout yeah. most of its range in 2021, and obviously science and state agencies will tell us tell us if i'm wrong yeah you, nebraska uh, comes to mind i i finally got a chance to go out west and uh you know get my rio my Merriams this year and unbeknownst to me at the time um i guess the state got inundated yeah. they, got, they got a lot yeah. of press the season before and because people had the time and yeah. they're like 
Yeah, we're going to Nebraska well, because of that. Those opportunities. Well, I think so many people did not travel in 2020 because of COVID. That 2021 people went, you know, through the roof, in particular out west, and you know, Nebraska and Kansas are two states where, uh, where you know they've gotten a lot of out of state pressure. Yeah. Um, so. You know it's interesting, and I, I've uh, I had a some pretty in depth conversation with Dr. Mike Chamberlain and, and Dr. Brett Collier about this. Obviously, I was you know in pursuit of chasing and killing turkey in every state, right? Has turkeys, and I've been chasing the Grand Slam now for every year. You know, I've I've chased it every year since I think two thousand and I think two thousand three. And you know it's uh, it's becoming now that there's the inter- that now that the internet's out there and it's a lot easier to scout. It's a lot easier to find opportunities. It's a lot easier to travel this day and age, and people are more educated. You know, it's uh, that becomes a question is uh, you know out of state hunters and you know pressure from uh, out of state. You know, some states like a, a state like Arizona or a state like Nevada have draw systems for mm. that for both the non-resident and the resident hunters. So it'll be interesting to see what the future holds as far as turkey populations and as far as pressure goes. You know, it's like I know Mississippi's trying to uh, or or is in the potentially making some changes to. Uh, you know, to, to non-resident access and things like that, just because it's uh, there's a lot more traveling turkey hunters. Yeah. I think in two thousand, that's going to be in two thousand twenty-two than there were five years ago or ten years ago. Oh, and literally, sure. it just seems like it's exploded in the last few years, and it's a good thing. People are going out there and hunting. It is, but there's a fine line between, right. you know, between making hunting awesome and cool and chasing turkeys versus you know what the resource can hold. So it's going to be a it's going to be interesting. I don't see. You know, people chasing the U.S. Slam like uh, like I was. You know, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, there's a lot more people doing that. And uh, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I don't know. It's a, it's definitely a thinking point and a, and a talking point amongst uh, I think a lot of wildlife professionals and other people is uh, you know how how it's going to affect the future of the sport and the future of the resource. Um, but you know, ultimately, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, it's just going to take research to find that out. It's. You know, I we talk about this a lot. Um, that fine line, but like, what what do you what do you think that that line is? Do I mean? So I think across the board nationally, we're we're still under ten percent participation in, in in hunting, as far as our population goes. Like, if we reach ten percent, would would that be enough? If we reach fifteen yeah. percent, is that too much? Like, because for you, uh, someone that's in the apparel business, uh, you want more people buying your your oh, clothes, absolutely. your your gear. Um, that's important for you as a businessman. For us at the Turkey Federation, absolutely, you hope that turns into into memberships. Um, but it's it's this double edged sword. I don't ever want to get to the point where I have to do a lottery in my own state to go hunt turkeys. Never yeah, mind yeah. traveling elsewhere, and you know, even more to that point. We're never satisfied. No, like, absolutely not. The U.S. land was a thing that, that you know, as I came up as a turkey hunter, uh, you know, in my early 20s and I started figuring this thing, I'm like, oh, that's, it was almost an unattainable thing. But like you just said, it's with the advent of, of so much technology, right, literally in our hands, it's, it is more attainable. It's really within your grasp. Yeah, yeah. So, 
A U.S. slam wasn't enough. A Royal slam's not enough. A World slam's not enough. Let's go kill a turkey in every damn state and Canadian province where available. And then when you're done with that, <laughs> let's go over to Middle Earth and New, New Zealand and hang out with the hobbits. And oh, by the way, let's kill turkeys there. Yeah, pretty much. I want to do that. But, Me too, but, yeah, right? Uh, but you know, it's and yeah, you know, it, it's a it is a fine line. I mean, you know, when, when it comes to hunting, yeah, we we've got three tags here in South Carolina. Yeah. Um. Do I personally need to shoot all three of those turkeys? No, but you know I've I've been there before where you, you want to fill your tags, you want to do that, and I, I know I've been on uh, uh, you know listen to other podcasts such as Gamekeepers and Bobby Cole and uh, you know Lanny Wallace, the host of that, and they make a good you know they they got self imposed, and after I killed my turkey in Mississippi this year, you know I said I've got three Mississippi tags, but I would feel guilty. If I were to go kill a second turkey here in Mississippi, because mm-hmm. there just wasn't, man, the turkey population in northern Mississippi, at least for this spring and the properties I were hunting, which were extremely good properties, wasn't that high. So, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, state agencies, you, you want to give hunters all the opportunity you can. But, you know, I think I think another thing is, is hunters uh, need to be educated and hunters need to sometimes think more about the resource than their personal um, desires and personal wants. I mean, yeah, man, you want to, I mean, being a hunter and enjoying it, there's nothing better than to call up a turkey. And, you know, obviously it's great to call up. I love calling up turkeys for other people. And I, I like pulling the trigger. It's fun. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like, man, you know, I, would I give up? You know, there's a, a, a crazy question. Would I give up, you know, would I give up turkey hunting in South Carolina for a year and would all the other hunters in the state to help the population would one year, you know, people would go nuts if you were able to do that, even if it's the best thing for the population. So, you know, it's a, it's a fine line of, uh, of, of, you know, of consumption. So I think, I think, I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of hunters need to, to think about that. Obviously we're, you know, we never, I think that the national wild turkey federation and, the way the NWTF has, has evolved over the years from the time when the NWTF was restocking turkeys and trying to put turkeys in places with all suitable habitat, the, um, the I think it was called the uh, um, Habitat, not the Habitat 2000, the Target 2000. Yeah. They're going to try to have turkeys in every possible habitat that they thought wild turkeys could be in in the United States by the year 2000. That, that was accomplished. Well, now, you know, we have we may have had our glory years of turkey hunting. It yeah. might not be what it once was. And, you know, now it's, uh, you know, it, definitely the NWTF's mission is, uh, you know, and the, the research that needs to take place for the wild turkey is way different than it was 20 years ago. Now we're, you know, in some areas, areas like, you know, a lot of areas in New England where it's in, in the cities and hunting's not allowed. There's too many turkeys, but then... You know, throughout a lot of eastern wild turkeys rangers, there's not as many. So it's going to be interesting to see how NWTF evolves, and uh, you know, based off the based off the research, and, and and see how the you know the wild turkey evolves with the ever changing habitat in the United States and the ever changing hunting population. And uh, it's you know, turkey hunting turkey hunting is a popular sport, and it's a cool sport, and it's a great sport to get other folks involved in. But it's going to be interesting to see how. Um, you know the the future of the wild turkey over that's changed a lot in the last ten years, a lot in the last twenty years, and yeah. it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how it changes. And you know, I, it's certainly my hope that it's uh, that it doesn't get you know it doesn't get any worse. And 
And, you know, I was, uh, you know, I did not, I, this this area at one time was, was quail hunting country. Hmm. Now, you know, I can't tell you the last time I saw a wild bobwhite quail anywhere near around here in, in, you know, my part of South Carolina. There's obviously some very upper end places that manage for quail, but, you know, I, you know I'd hate to see. You know, 30 years from now, as an old man talking about the wild turkey, like old men talk about quail now. Exactly so right. It's, uh, you know, I think we all just need to be very conscious of that as turkey hunters. And then I, I would imagine the majority of the folks that are listening to this podcast are turkey hunters. Hmm. I would well, hope, I, I guess. And, and, you know, to your point, I think if if there's a population of hunters with, within the hunting community that would self-impose a moratorium like that i think we would rise to the occasion i believe that now you're gonna have people that are pissed off oh absolutely and they would be like hell no and then they'll, oh, they'll yeah. die on that hill but you know big picture thing it, so what you get to go out that year this is all for instance of right, course yeah, but you go out that year and then the next year you know the biologist and state agency is like oh you had your last year and based on those uh those numbers and what we had for research we've now determined that was a mistake and now we're shutting the season down indefinitely right so i mean that, that's that's where this can go and it can precipitate very quickly to a, a crazy place like that um and, and and so anyway i mean we're, we're speaking hypothetically here but um uh, turkey hunters by and large it's been my experience the majority of us would do that to save what we love so very much yeah i, I don't think deer hunters are or upland hunters wouldn't do the same thing but um i feel confident in stating that sure you know and in particular what at least the the eastern's range just off the top of my head states that have that have changed their bag limit recently and just thinking i'm just thinking out loud you got you know oklahoma has oklahoma's doing a one bird limit kansas is going a lot of their two bird limit down to one south carolina here in south carolina we went from five down to three uh, I think Georgia, Georgia uh, has just changed. Alabama's just made some major changes, and folks don't like change. In particular, right. you know, you know, people like, you know, if somebody can't travel and they've got plenty of turkeys, and you tell them, man, you can't shoot five turkeys anymore. You can shoot three. You know, there's some people are, but there's awful a, a, a pile more that are they're very educated on it. And you know, truthfully, as I look back in my younger years when I was first starting, I was like, oh man, five tags are way better than three. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. You, you know, you don't think that way when you're first starting out in your hunting career. You just want to shoot as many as you can, and then you know that, that changes with time. So, well, especially if you come from a state where your your limits are low, right? Like New Hampshire for yeah. years was a one bird spring, oh, yeah. and then you could go. Um, you know, somewhere in the south, and you know, the idea of being able to take three birds that's shit, that's magical, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> but is it responsible? No, no, right? And I, and I'm, I'm absolutely guilty, I'm absolutely guilty yeah, yeah. of it. You know, oh, we all are. I've done things and I've done things in my in my younger days, and then you know, for example, in Georgia one year, I was turkey hunting opening day. The bird, the, the limit at Georgia at the time was three birds per season, three per day. And sure enough, I had three long beards come in. I shot one, two dropped, and then the other went away with a broken wing. And I shot him. And you know, I shot three. I shot three monster long beards. Jason Hart, at my age now, uh, would say, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to shoot one and let the other two go back." For, you mm-hmm. know, for, for number one, for breeding purposes, and you know what we're finding out about research. But but yeah, man, I'm guilty of it. I've done it. And, uh, but you know, you, you mature as a hunter over the years, and you know different things. Um, you know different different things mean you know a lot of different things. You know when I was growing up around here, hunting in uh, you know uh, 
back in my when I started turkey hunting on places with turkeys it wasn't until high school that i was able to hunt on some places that had good turkey populations you know it was going out in the woods you'd hear seven eight nine birds in a morning and this is you know completely a sample size of one this was my experience Mm -hmm. and now this day and age you know if you hear one or two it's a good morning and it's not definitely not seven eight or nine in the same geographical area and i'm sure there might be people that have extremely well managed very large properties that can control you know their own harvest rates and have it managed to the nines and have abundant food sources that that still hear that in the general locale but it's um for me you know being what i consider you know i I don't get to hunt special places around here you know being being what i consider you know very i've been fortunate to travel all over and hunted some great places but you know, it's it's funny people getting there um, that are pursuing their U.S. slam quest every year. I have uh, dozens and dozens of people. Hey, man, can you get me a South Carolina bird? I'm like, man, this is the toughest state. Kill one in mm. that I know of, and I no, I don't have great property. I have yeah. I, I I'm part of hunting clubs uh, that I lease that I, that we that hunting club leases, and I pay a membership fee. And uh, you know, I've got access to roughly seven thousand acres here locally but with that being said if you were to come turkey hunting with me for a week i couldn't promise that we'd get you on a bird sure. That's, i mean i didn't kill one last year and so and you know it's you know it's definitely you know times have changed and in particular eastern wild turkey range you know i'm not talking about texas i'm not talking about the western united states where not as many turkey hunters per hunter capita are in yeah. texas as they are around here or a state like alabama or a state like uh pennsylvania or mississippi uh, you know like that but you know, even the northeast you know i was uh turkey hunting in new jersey this spring and it is loaded compared to around here as yeah. far as turkeys i mean uh, way better hunting uh, than what i experienced in south carolina the last few years and you know the, even the new jersey turkey hunters are like man it's not as good now as it was five years ago i think we've been shooting too many and you know it's it, it can happen you i mean when you take out the when you take out the majority of the male birds in a population you know it's uh, yeah it's simple take, math takes two man <laughs> it uh you know it's 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 different across the regions like you're saying um i it felt weird uh this last year uh, up in the northeast but i think we still put up record numbers so yeah. what does that mean like you sit there and say well was it as a quality of hunt issue you know i know they're doing studies uh gobble studies throughout the south you know that's part of the enjoyment so i go out there you you've been up there with me you know how that you know was guerrilla warfare yeah. <laughs> hunting turkeys up there but you know there's almost if you're not hearing them you can hang out and typically in a spring morning you'll see one in every field like every quarter mile i mean they're there but so what does that what does that mean obviously we're putting up if we're putting up record numbers though the birds are there there's more hunters that's how we got those numbers um, is it just a, a quality of a quality of hunt issue? Yeah, I, man, I agree. You know, when I, uh, you know, for me, um, man, when you go out and you hear, you know, five plus eastern wild turkeys in one morning, man, that's something special. Even heck, even and it could be any subspecies. And hmm. obviously, I've not been been to places where you heard the you know, Osceola's, Rio's, Goulds, whatever. Yeah, man, it's fun, but you know it's it's uh, you know it's interesting. I know it's going to take it's going to take research, and it's going to take a lot of research. And uh, you know, I'm 
I am uh, I am hoping and predicting that the NWTF continues to stay on the forefront of that. And you know, I I serve on the foundation board, and you know, one of our um, uh, I would I would imagine most of the members, at least from what I gather, most of the members of the foundation board are they're really digging uh, you know some of the potential research projects that the NWTF is looking to help partner with um you know my buddy my buddy dr brett collier and dr mike chamberlain are really at the forefront of this research they're doing you know really more research than any two gentlemen uh you know in the country and really any more research has been done on the wild turkey in the last 50 plus years and so it's going to take a lot more there's a lot of stuff we don't know about the wild turkey and uh you know what's 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 that going to take to learn more about them that's um now, first off, it's going to take money, and it's going to take research. And That's unfortunately, right. it costs money to do research. And so, so it's going to be. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly. Uh, you know, I'm confident the NWTF is going to be, be at the forefront of that in the future. Yeah, for sure. Um, as someone that's been around literally to every state, multiple times, uh, other states, you know, I. It's interesting your perspective to to, to hear. You know, outside of your home in South Carolina, because, you know, I, look, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. I know a lot of people already know by the time this airs that you've already you completed 49 states this year, this yeah. past year. Yeah, man, I've uh, I finished my goal of, of harvesting a turkey in every state. And, and yeah, man, it, it's 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 definitely it, it was quite the fun challenge. And, uh, you know, it was something I wanted to accomplish before I died. And I did it, and you know, I just want to get done with it when I was doing it. Now I've gotten done with it. I was kind of like depressed for a while. I'm like, well, damn, what am I going to do now with yeah. life? Like, man, what do I do? do I get married and have kids and have a have a dog and a house and you know what? Anyhow, so it's, it's it was a uh, it was weird, but uh, but you know, I, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, from uh, based on my experience, obviously everybody's experience is different, but but yeah, man, there's some states that uh, you know, and I, I think. You know, I'm kind of interrupting myself, but I think that, you know, uh, everybody's like, what are you going to do now? What kind of challenge? You know, I'm like, man, I've I've killed Grand Slams with, with every gauge, with bows, with everything. I mean, it's all been a challenge. It's all been fun. But now it's like, I really want to hunt with friends. I want to go yeah. back and hunt places that I enjoyed. And, and also, I want to go back and hunt places where it's responsible to go back and hunt and harvest sure. one. Like, you know. Uh, Maine. Yeah, it's like, you know, or, you know, it's, you know, somewhere that's still got a great population, yeah. obviously, Texas and, you know, Texas varies. Texas is doing really good now. It's very rain dependent or, but, you know, a state like Nebraska that's just gotten pounded by non-residents that are coming out there and shooting three birds every year for years and years and years. You know, yeah, I'm sure there's still plenty of places out there that's just yeah. loaded with turkeys, but, you know, a state like Oklahoma, um, man, Oklahoma's been struggling. So. You know, having the responsibility as a traveling turkey hunter, I think, is is something that um, that's new to me. Um, and and uh, conversations with Mike Chamberlain, Brett Collier, really struck a chord with that. It's like, all right, man, I, you know, if I get invited back to Mississippi, it's like, you know, I might get invited back to a place that's got a ton of turkeys and it's okay. But you know, I, I don't foresee, you know, do a, you know, going to a state that's really struggling. You know, that's. You know, just from a responsibility standpoint, it's like, man, do I really need to go back and kill another turkey there? No, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just kind of what we talked about talked about earlier. But I think this this has been a very serious conversation, Fred. I think we 
Um, we need a drink or something to, to lighten the mood a little bit. Well, man. it's all it's just going there, right? It's not <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom, and and, and certainly no, I don't want the first you know half hour of this podcast to sound like <laughs> we're kicking stones down the street. But you know, it's we got to acknowledge it. And, and again, I, I come back to you. You know, someone with your breadth of experience, your knowledge. I mean, you you went to school for this stuff, so you know it's not just you're a fellow that's been out there for three decades beating the snot out of turkeys. Like you're you're educated on this. You are, for all intents and purposes, an authority in my opinion on it, and you you can speak to that. So I, you know it's it's important when we have these opportunities to hear from someone like yourself that yeah you know, we put that out there now no, absolutely. All things said. Turkey season's not closed in 49 states, so you can still go out there <laughs> exactly, and, and yeah. do this. Yeah, um, exactly. But being cognizant of the the responsibility we have to the resources is important to acknowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you know the, the the U.S. slam is something that um, don't know exactly how many have done it. Obviously, on NWTF has it registered. Not everybody's <laughs> registered. I think right. last I checked, I think there were 11 people registered. And to my knowledge, you know, at least from at least from all my friends, you know, for, for example, Stephen Spurlock of Chasing Forty Nine has done a really good job keeping up with everybody that that he thinks has has gotten a, a turkey in every state. And there's two book. There's a, a book called Turkey Men, Volumes One and Two. Yeah, that, that chronicle all of them. I don't know if yeah. he's got any future ones, but Tom Pero. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. To the best of my knowledge, I think there were at least I was number nineteen or number twenty or something like that. And there's been about, I think, if I'm not mistaken. There were three, at least to my knowledge, that was publicized and on social media and heard. From, there were three people that finished it this year, but I for there's going to be a lot more. There's a lot sure. of people pursuing it, and one thing that kind of, you know, kind of I, I wouldn't say troubles me about it, but man, it's a lot easier to do it in 2021 than it was in 2000, or it was when the the first. You know, there's uh, a Clyde Metz who was from here. He was no longer – he passed away. And Rob Keck, who was one of the first to do it. Uh, man, it was a lot tougher back then just because, you know, getting access. And, you know, there wasn't, I think, all the internet where you can network and, you yeah. know, different things like that. Now, what I'm, what I'm seeing is there's a lot, and it's cool, there's a lot of younger, uh, younger hunters doing it. And I think that's cool, but – you know, obviously, cutting your teeth on your home turkeys mean a lot too, and you know, mm-hmm. gaining a lot of experience. You know, wherever your locale is, as well. Um, not that I'm discouraging anybody to do it, but you know, I, I I really think that 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 pursuit in the sport slash art, if you will, of turkey hunting. I've I've not been able to. I don't like calling turkey hunting a sport. Oh, I don't like call, but I, I, I've been calling it sport slash art because there's an art to it, and you know, obviously, uh, you know, you can be a world champion turkey caller at a very young age and be an incredible caller, but it just takes years and years and years of woods experience to to really, you know, perfect your art form, if you will, of turkey hunting. And you know, I just want to discourage young people uh who think that i want to kill a turkey in every state yeah it's cool to do it while you're young and while you're single and you don't have responsibilities and if you're if your mommy and daddy are funding it then great but you know what man there's a lot of you're gonna miss out on a lot of good times with your buddies and your family and friends you know around and and learning your your own neck of the woods so it's uh for me now that i'm reflecting on killing a turkey in every state there's you know there's a lot of Man, it's awesome, yeah. But there are a lot of things that aren't great about it, you know. So there's this idea of paying your dues. 
I mean, we're saying it without saying it. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, these these unwritten rules of baseball, if you will, and. Well, you know, you know, another thing is the social media. I mean, when it comes down to it, let's yeah. flat out be honest with you. Some people want to be a social media star, and mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's not what turkey hunting or what what it's about. You know, it's like you know, somebody like Michael Waddell didn't sign up to be a you know a, a, a television and social media celebrity. You know, he just ended up going through the ranks and getting some getting some good breaks. And mm-hmm. you know, there. I, but I think there's a lot of people out there that. You know, want to have the Instagram fame and be look at me, look at me, look at mm-hmm. me, and uh, you know, I think that's. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm concerned there might be some people doing it for the wrong reasons. I hope they're I hope they're not, but um, it's definitely challenging. And flat out, anybody that's pursuing a turkey in every state, anybody that kills a turkey in every state, first off, you're going to be a good turkey hunter to do that. Um, but. You know, it's and it's and number number two. It's going to take money. It's going to take a lot. You don't have to be a rich man to do it, but you're going to you're going to you're going to spend a lot of money if you do it on public land and you if you buy gasoline, you buy hunting licenses, and you that's good. And then number number three is time. It's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. And no matter how wealthy, if a billionaire wanted to do the U.S. Slam, he could fly around on his private jet and do it. But it's still going to take a lot of time. I mean, you that's a lot of time and travel. And you know, I'm fortunate that. My pursuit of it took me 26 years and didn't realize that I was really pursuing it until, you know, most of the last 10 years. And, uh, you know, it was a fun, a fun experience. And people are like, oh, you're going to do it again? I'm like, probably not. I'm if I got, you know, I got friends that uh, I got several friends that are pursuing trying to kill turkey in every state. If one of them invites me, hey, man, you want to come to this state? Absolutely. But I'm going to go there with no pressure no sure hey you shoot one if i get to shoot one great but if not no big deal so i'm not gonna you know i got no desire to be like all right i'm gonna try to do it again no i got i'm you know i'm cool uh you know i've like for example there's a lot of states i want to go back to that i've only gone to once yeah. um that only, like california is a state i've only i've shot one turkey in i'd love to go back plenty of turkeys but uh, no offense to New England, but a state like Rhode Island, <laughs> I'm going to have to get – that place is tough. And I'm an hour and a half away, and I don't want to go back. <laughs> no, man. And, I, if you know, if there's anybody out there listening, I'm sure there's some unbelievable hunting spots in Rhode Island yeah. and some unbelievable farms that are just great, and they're hidden gems. But, man, when you're using a rangefinder to make sure you're a legal distance from a house and – you know, you're it's different. You're chasing turkeys, you know, and yeah, it's definitely different. So, so it's uh, but it's you know, it's cool. It's cool to, uh, you know, I've I have made a lot of memories and a lot of friends and had a great time chasing turkeys all over the United States, and I certainly encourage it. But you know, don't take it with a grain of salt and have fun while you're doing it, and don't get in any hurry to do a personal goal. And you know, that's the. You know the, the the national wild. To my knowledge, the National Wild Turkey Federation. Obviously, I think a gentleman long since passed away by the name of Dave Harbor came up with the uh, the scoring record system mm. that the National Wild Turkey Federation uses. And you know the NWTF has its record keeping, which I think is good. I, I, I truthfully think the whole record keeping process is good because it gives some idea. I don't know, you know, the, as far as size birds and gives an idea mm. of. Of where they are, and NWTF's got an amazing database. If it could ever be used and deciphered by like a grad student, but um, you know the the cool thing about the different slams that the NWTF has, whether that's the uh, whether that's the Grand Slam, whether that's the Royal Slam, whether that's the World Slam, Mexican Slam, the Canadian Slam, 
you know, whatever you have is there's no time limit on it. Right. And you know what? I encourage folks, if you want to, and I, lots of people ask me, man, I want to get my grand slam. I want to get my world slam. I want to get my world slam. I want to get two in one year, man. Just, and if you don't, I've had several people that have just come to me crushed in the last year. Like, man, I missed out my, my single season world slam. Cause I didn't kill a ghoul. Man, don't worry about that. You don't have time. I mean, I, I understand that pressure. You feel like you need to accomplish something and accomplish a goal, but you know what? Take your time and enjoy it. Are we sullying it by doing that? I'm just asking the question. I don't. I don't want to be so self-deprecating on ourselves that you know it's. It, I don't want to make it out to be wrong, but I just I feel like thinking critically and asking the question. This yeah. is all an individual oh, uh, decision yeah. as well. Like this is if that's how you enjoy your time and it's legal by all means. Absolutely, yeah. But the pressure, like for me, I I start hunting to. to Get away from exactly. the bullcrap and the pressure. I'll like. be honest with you. <laughs> that's one thing to consider with the U.S. Slam. Yeah, man, going turkey hunting in every state's fun, but yeah, there was a lot of pressure, and I'm 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 glad that that no longer have that. That you know, I mean, let's flat out. I had to go back to Arizona four times. Mm-hmm. I went to Arizona four times to kill one turkey in Arizona. I ended up killing two turkeys this year in Arizona, but I went four times. You don't want to know how much money I spent in the pressure. You know, if you, yeah. you 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 book an airplane flight and you book a rental car, you buy a license, you do this, and if you're trying to pursue a goal, that's a man. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. That sucked. That part of the chasing the U.S. Slam or a Grand Slam sucked. And there were years, there were you know, I was trying to get a, a single season Raw Slam one year and didn't kill a Rio. And you know, not looking back at it, I've since you know. I might be saying it differently because I've, you know, since done all that, those things, but, you know, I get it as a up and coming hunter and you want to prove it to yourself or you want to prove it to, you know, say, Oh, you know, I'm, I got a grand slam, man. People, people put a lot of pressure on themselves. My only yeah. encouragement to folks that are new and want to get a grand slam by all means do it. But, you know, I've, I've heard stories of friends who, you know, uh, did not get it or somebody with them did not get it and the amount of distress that they went in for not shooting one subspecies in one you know one year is is, is tough so you know my biggest thing is enjoy it enjoy the people you're with enjoy the landscape enjoy the culture and that's the the cool part of it you know it's the you know i'm i'm living proof it's not the destination it's the journey and when it got done a good friend of mine who's also part on the the chasing 49 series and their social media is kyle ott and the night before i started my last hunt he goes man you enjoy it because hunting's going to be different from here on out and it is and the no. next week, I went to New Jersey and had no pressure whatsoever. Had a blast in camp with my buddy Rudy. Uh, and just, man, hey, we just had a great time. Man, we killed turkeys. It was great. If we didn't, it was great. So, you know, it's uh, turkey guns may be fun. And I hope everybody out there takes it like that. And, and that's, if there's anything I can encourage, that's what I say is, man, enjoy it. Life's too short. Perspective is everything on this thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you keep know. it in check, man. I mean, yeah, absolutely. 90 plus percent of us aren't getting checks from companies that are sponsoring no. us and no. you know having these real pressures of coming through for you know contract deliverables like nah, this is all self-imposed so sit back and enjoy the ride and, and you know get to it when you get to it i hey look man i'm all about goal setting and personal goals and i put more pressure on myself than anyone so i dig it no nah, absolutely um i thought i heard somebody one or two people this past season were like trying to do a grand slam in 24 hours or 48 <laughs> yeah, hours yeah was that real yeah yeah it was yeah that's yeah. crazy hey man it's hey if you can do it you can do it 
And you know what? It, 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 but the funny, I, to my knowledge, gentlemen, did it was it was something that NWTF was a part. He was raising money for NWTF, so it was for a good cause. But you know, he was fortunate enough to have a private jet, and yeah. so money was not an object. And he did it. But it goes to show he didn't finish his grand slam. It goes to show you that. Money does not, uh, you know, can't do it. I oh, certainly you, appreciate yeah, the you still got to have philanthropy. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And um, but the the biggest thing when it comes to turkey hunting is still still hunting. You know, they're not chained up. And if you're out there in the wild and you know other things, there's big trend like I'm not going to kill my turkey on private land or public land. This had to, you know, people ask me. I'm like, how did you kill yours? Was it all public? I'm like, no, absolutely not. But a lot of states were public land. A lot of states were private land. Hunt with friends. Some of them were getting my last turkey was uh private land that we got permission on in mm. mississippi which was pretty hard to do um and then a, a few i hunt with outfitters and um so you know my, the biggest thing is when people question if they look down at you because you didn't kill all your turkeys on a grand slam or on public land or whatever uh, you know what's crazy is a old long beard doesn't know if he's on public or private <laughs> exactly land right. he doesn't even know how to pronounce public or private and this is all made up and they don't understand political boundaries they're just no they don't, not even, to get they don't even know they're americans <laughs> or canadians or mexicans <laughs> oh man and the great thing is is a hen yelp and a gobble is you know that's you know uh, you can yelp to you can yelp to a hen and it's you know in, in canada you know french canadian turkeys you know gobble back to it the same way that the, <laughs> these southern turkeys do you know their accent might be a little bit different yeah, you know, yeah. the mexican the mexican turkeys you know they they, they don't gobble back in spanish so. <laughs> what um when everything starts opening back god willing it opens back up here I keep hearing rumors of the northern border uh we'll we'll do that um you heading up there at all or well i, I was supposed to go in uh supposed to go thanksgiving week yeah and then i caught covid um and so you know you've got to have a vaccination to get up there um i took the, the antibody infusion that's uh they pump my blood full of the artificial covid uh strain to beef up my immune system after i called it i did it just for good measure i definitely i had a mild case of covid compared to, to many folks out there but i can't i technically legally can't go till december mm. oh, plus so I was, I was supposed to go on a uh a hunt that had been planned for two years mm. so covid canceled it the first time because i couldn't get across the border and then me catching covid canceled it the second time so Jeez. but yeah i want to um i definitely want to go back to canada i've hunted ontario before man it was fantastic turkey hunting absolutely awesome turkey hunting in ontario but you know it's uh yeah canada's got some great turkey hunting and obviously mexico i love hunting down there too we talked about new zealand today i've never done yeah. that but um that's definitely on the bucket list and i, I want to go, go in october when they gobble but you know it's like anything else uh, from everything i hear and everybody i know that's hunted over there they're they're definitely considered a feral animal and yeah. They're not too wild, and I, I hope to get over there before you know all the rest of the American hunters <laughs> go over there too and start making them smart. Because one thing I have learned about chasing a turkey in every single state, in particular, some of the good old boys around here will be like, "Man, them Western birds ain't tough. You can kill a turkey in Texas anytime, or you can kill a turkey in Montana." Let me tell you something: any turkey any species when you start hunting them and you put pressure on them they get smart sure and they get good and i have mad i have had merriams i have had goulds i have had rios many 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 times make me look like an idiot mm. and that's the cool thing about turkey hunting is you know it's uh you don't always win sometimes a bird wins and that's okay 
uh, you know, you don't always come home with a turkey. And, you know, I've been fortunate many times I do. And people are like, oh, man, you're a good turkey hunter. I'm like, no, I just go a lot. And occasionally one runs in front of my gun barrel. <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, I do have a distinction, Fred, that I don't think many people out there know. But, you know, I have killed a turkey in every state. But I think I doubt that there's not a record system of this. But if there was, I doubt bet that nobody has missed as many turkeys in as many states as i have I've, you were with me i missed a bird in new hampshire yeah, yeah I, I wasn't gonna bring it up yeah that, yeah that rascal showed up about five feet behind us and fred's like turn around and shoot him and yeah he pulled the houdini move and i took off sprinting after him and yeah that wasn't good so yeah that, still got it though he yeah, still got yeah. It a little while later oh yeah, yeah. there's a uh, every state has its own nuance every experience so like uh you know uncommon knowledge is there any weird stuff out there people may not know like i look i just learned recently that um if you go into mexico apparently you can't bring the meat back i had no idea you can bring the feathers yeah, the hide yeah yeah, you, yeah i had no idea so every time i've gone to mexico we've eaten turkeys down there like i was down from oscillate this year we ate man we had turkey tamales we had fried wild turkey we had I mean, you name it, turkey soup, turkey whatever. Yeah, yeah, but you can't. If you bring a, if you import a bird back into the United States from Mexico or Canada, you can't. You've got to. You're allowed to bring the cape. Yeah, which is basically the skin, the feathers, the feet, yeah. and the head, and that's it. I yeah. mean, you can't bring the body. You can't bring the meat, and it's based on the United States poultry rules by mm-hmm. the uh, by the. Uh, USDA, mm-hmm. so you have to declare it when you come back through an airport, and it's a bunch of paperwork. And sure. most yeah, people are only going to know that if you no, if you go out there and no. do that, right? It's not it's not like a no, super common knowledge. Not. No, that's um, you know, you if you hunt down in Mexico, first off, you have to have an outfitter. You can't just um, you can't just get on an airplane with your gun and go to Mexico and just run on. No, there's not public land down there. You have to have an outfitter and you have to have a contract and, you know, all this. And then, uh, and some, the same for Canada. Um, well, Canada, obviously the gun laws to get in both States are, are very, I've never, yeah. it, I, I do not, you can do it. Um, you can take guns to Mexico and I took guns to Canada, but it's obviously a lot of paperwork and things like that. But yeah, you've got to, um, before you hunt in, a foreign country definitely know the rules and definitely know you're going to have a lot of paperwork and you're going to have to have declarations and you got to check in with the u.s fish and wildlife and then uh, usda and whole nine yards and yeah it definitely makes it complicated but here's another neat nuance and most folks i get this question every once in a while and they're like man what are, what are the oscillated turkeys or what are the gould's turkeys what, are, what do they all taste like hmm. all wild turkeys taste the same from what i can tell and they're great and I'll tell you what fried wild turkey in the jungles of the yucatan peninsula is just as good as fried wild <laughs> turkey in montana and just as good as fried wild turkey yeah. in florida and and everything so yeah it's all it's it's all the the meat from what i can tell i've never been able to tell the difference in in it in the the, t- the taste of the meat from a wild turkey and all 49 states or either er, other country and they're all delicious and my favorite way is definitely fried wild turkey but i have been on my low carb diet for 10 months now so i've <laughs> not eaten fried wild turkey in literally 10 months and yes i miss it and you have a special recipe for that i do man yeah. absolutely yes the, yeah. the dill pickle juice absolutely and, yeah yeah oh yeah so wait, this, the, the key to that's like a brine right i mean you're basically yeah man it's uh well, in a brine with well, all that sodium. i heard so how i learned it is um back when i lived in baltimore maryland i was in a bar one night um, and I, um, I ran into an attractive girl that I was obviously trying to hit on, which I was very <laughs> unsuccessful at doing that. But 
uh, in, in my uh, in my uh, uh, conversation with her, she was a regional uh, regional manager and for Chick Fil A and. You know, over a, a couple of adult libations, I'm like, "Why does Chick Fil A taste so good?" She's like, "Well, we brine it in pickle juice, and we fry it in peanut oil, and that clicked like that." So that was hmm. the start of my recipe, and since then I've manipulated it, and come out with a few different ways. It's been published and ripped off a bunch of different ways. So, but truthfully, truth be told, I kind of ripped it off from Chick Fil A too. Go. So, so yeah, I've never had anybody eat my 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 turkey nuggets or a turkey sandwich. The way I prepare it, and I'd say it's absolutely delicious. Kids love it. Adults love it. And, you know, if anybody tells me, it was funny. I was out in, uh, where was I? I might have been in uh, New Mexico. Well, I've been in New Mexico and Montana. And, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm going to kind of fry up the turkey. And people are like, I'm uh, two different landowner friends. When I'm on a ranch, they're like, man, we ain't not eating that nasty wild turkey. And then after I fried it up for them, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is delicious. We're going to start turkey hunting around here. I'm like, Changing that minds. was not. <laughs> I said, maybe that wasn't good. I'm going to get invited back. Uh, we're here. I want to talk about the brand. Yeah, man. Welcome We've, to the Marilina Outdoor Incorporated office. And, you know, this is the the brands that we have underneath us are two brands, one called Hook Performance Fishing. The other one, Nomad Hunting. Uh, so, you know, obviously my office is, has got hunting camouflage in it, and I focus, although I'm a co-founder of both brands, I focus on the net. At this point in my career, I'm focusing just on Nomad, mm -hmm. um, even though I'm a a cheerleader and a shareholder for the Hook brand. But, uh, but yeah, man, we're uh, you got you got an eye full of a bunch of new product that uh, is just, just hitting the shelves, some of it that unfortunately was delayed due to global supply chain and then some of it is not out yet anything that sticks out that you want to talk about tell the audience about man plenty i want to talk about but it i don't want to let out secrets if they're well under under wraps nah man there's you know everything you've seen there's nothing uh, uh well you've seen some top secret stuff on the hook side but as far as the nomad side everything that you see in here is at least stuff that our dealer base has seen and mm. will be coming for next spring in particular that new turkey vest so that new turkey vest is oh yeah the bull lounger is coming out legit. as long as there's no supply chain issues which yeah. as long as it's you know, uh, you know, unless it's an act of God, it's going to be here. And with that being said, you know, the last the way the supply chain has been, you know, last year our turkey vests were stuck in the port of uh, Long Beach for like three and a half weeks, and they were late. And obviously, we've we were launching a lot of new waterfowl apparel that was just going to show up too late this fall. So, what's going on globally, and you know, everything's crazy as far as supply chain. Um, of what's you know stuff that's made you know obviously a lot of most products made in the hunting industry unfortunately aren't made in america it'd be great if we could mm. um but you know obviously there's you know we don't have the cut and sew factories we don't have the textile force to do it um you know at an affordable rate and also getting labor to do it you know sure. there's i don't know of any kid that comes out of high school and says all right i'm gonna go work in a textile factory and cut and sew stuff you know the last you know the last generation that did that were our parents age yeah. or older and unfortunately it's just not here so you know i get a lot of comments it's like man your stuff's not made in america i'm like no it's not but let me tell you something the people that 
design that product, the people that source that product, the people that sell that product, uh, the people that manage the inventory for that product, the people that warehouse that product, the people that drive the truck for that product, and the people that sell that product in the retail stores are all good Americans, mm-hmm. and it makes all of those people money along the way. So, you know, that's uh, that's that's where that is. I kind of gone off on a supply chain tangent. It's all anyhow. good. I love context is great, yeah. and I think. Uh, I think the end users need to hear some of that because yeah, the, yeah, it's, the, uh, the casual guy or gal going out to the racks and they're not seeing it. They're just nah, they're getting grumpy and, 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 and like there's a reason. And yeah, if it's uh, if you're listening to this and it's the fall of 2021 when this is recorded, there's obviously you can get on the news and just type in supply chain and supply t- su- you know Google you know country shutdowns and uh, you know we've experienced some of that and a lot of the biggest brands. I would imagine if you walk around the NWTF convention. Just about every brand has experienced that this year, with mm-hmm. the exception of maybe handmade turkey calls in America. Sure. I mean, flat out, or you know, artwork made in America. So, so yeah, man, it's crazy. It's a crazy time, and you know, who would and a lot of it's it's all COVID influence. You know, who would have known, or who would have thought? And there's so many things we've talked about during this podcast that have been a um, a direct or an indirect result of the crazy pandemic that's you know affected everyone. Uh, so this is crazy, but anyhow, I'll get back to the product. <laughs> you know, we, we're going all over the place, man. That's what happens when I have too much caffeine today. <laughs> Good thing I haven't had any alcohol because we'd be all over the place. But uh, but yeah, man, you're seeing a lot of new product. We're um, you know our Nomad brand, our hook brand is obviously on the fishing side is uh, uh, has grown by leaps and bounds, and yeah. uh, we've got a huge design team for the uh, hook side of the business and the hook side of the business and you know in many cases a lot of the casual lifestyle which we've been referring to this year is our boat to bar stuff the kind of stuff like this shirt right now you see what we did today we went from the boat to the bar we weren't drinking anything we ate lunch but yeah that's you know uh, we're doing a lot of that but on the nomad side obviously i'm the general manager so myself and devin sweeney uh who's in the office right next door to me you you know we design everything you see and we have final say so and we're absolutely avid hunters in every category that we put it in you know obviously turkey hunting is by far my passion devin's biggest passion is big whitetail deer western hunting um we both have worked in the waterfowl industry we both duck away everything everything we build we test and we i mean we we may not get to test it this year but we'll test it next year and i can assure you that anything nomad makes our team of very passionate hunters are going to wear it. And if it doesn't work, we're going to rebuild it or we're going to come out with something new that does. So that's one thing we've done. And, you know, the Nomad product that will hit the shelves in 2021 and then 2022 is completely different than what hit the shelves in 2016, 2017. At that time, you know, we had a different design team. And, um, you know, at that time when we were starting off, some of the people were making the decisions on what kind of garments we were taking to market uh, weren't quite as hands-on as what our current executive team is. But, yeah, man, you can tell by these turkey vests right here. We got we got one coming out that the there's never been anything like it on the market. And Price point on that? Can we, can we talk man, about it? Man, it's gonna be expensive. Yeah, unfortunately, it's gonna be worth it. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I we're gonna be. Yeah, I'm it's gonna be. You, it's worth. It. It's gonna be at the the upper end <laughs> price point of anything on the market. Yeah, but, yeah. but there's nothing else. Yeah, like. you gave a little hint about sitting in it. It uh, yeah, it doesn't need a tree, but there's nothing like it's been on the market. And uh, so yeah, what sucks uh, about future seasons is anything bulky that goes on a ship coming to America. Yeah. 
you know, you, you've probably heard, or if anybody wants to look at uh, the cost of containers and supply chain, if our cost of ship goods into America has gone from uh, a container a year ago was $4,000, excuse me, yeah, $4,000 a year ago to, you know, twenty eight, twenty nine thousand this year. So, yeah. unfortunately, uh, most of you out there, uh, the cost of turkey vests, unless it's a very flat, very thin type turkey vest that doesn't have a lot of cushions that... You know, uh, they're unfortunately they're going to go up, and all your hunting gears going to go up. Everything is. We're not raising prices for 2022, um, but it's going to have to. And you know, and hopefully, you know, it's just crazy. I mean, cost of gas, the cost of shipping stuff is just going through the roof. So it's a uh, you know, unfortunate. Well, and then you talked about like you know earlier about uh, you couldn't you know make stuff in America because of there's no people to do it. Like in my local Dunkin' yeah, Donuts, man. they're giving. I think damn near a thousand dollar sign on bonus to sling coffee and donuts. Yeah, and they I know. can't even do that. I mean, here in twenty twenty one, yeah, it's it, you know it's funny. I had a buddy of mine that's twenty one years old. Um, one of my turkey hunting buddies up in uh, Maryland, Delaware. He goes, man, why don't you just make this stuff in America? I'm like, all right, dude. You graduated high school three years ago. How many people in your graduating high school class would go work in a factory and cut and sew apparel and yeah. sew jackets for forty hours a week? He goes, not a damn one. I'm like, exactly. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. You know, it just it, it sucks. But, you know, there's other places that do and have a lot of experience and make really good stuff. And, you know, it ultimately, you know, there's a, uh, and a lot of Americans that uh, that make their living. I'm one one of them that uh, that depends on that. So, but yeah, man, we got cool stuff coming out. Long and it's story good short, stuff. I mean, we're, coming from Gen One of oh yeah, you know, the first stuff that came stuff's out, way this, different. And I, oh, it's all. I different. think the biggest thing is is we sat back and it was it was during COVID when you know most of America was shut down. Um, we were still coming to the office. Yeah. Um, you can look at it as responsible or irresponsible. Nobody caught COVID then. I didn't. I didn't catch COVID until recently, even though I was traveling more than anybody I knew. But. Um, but I basically said, you know what? Everything we've done for Nomad, at least let's we'll just talk about the deer hunting side of the business. Everything we've built for Nomad was warm, uh, keep you windproof, waterproof or water resistant, and quiet. And that's great. So everything worked great. But we we wanted to change up the product aesthetically, make it look better. And number two, you know, change up the weights, make everything lighter. So mm. uh, when we started our company, when we started hooking Nomad, you know, we were small. We were four buddies three out of four of us went to college together and three out of four of us worked at a big apparel company called under armor and you know we were nobodies and we didn't have money so we didn't have the power at a big major factory that makes all this product where other bigger brands were now we've grown a lot in five years and we do have the uh, a little more muscle than we had five years ago so we can go to factories that have better fabrics that your most upper end hunting and outdoor retailer brands use so we're very fortunate now that we can uh, you we can go in and get these different fabrics. Mm. So what you'll see in 21 and 22 for Nomad is unlike anything that you've purchased in the past, in particular on the whitetail side and the waterfowl side of the business, which you know, unfortunately a lot of our new waterfowl product we were launching is a direct uh, you know, direct hit from COVID. So not all of it's going to be coming this fall, but you know, you've got to see all the prototypes and the samples and we've awesome got a, we've got a nice uh, you know, we got a nice uh, we got a nice collection coming out this fall. It'll do everything from keep you warm from zero sub freezing temperatures all the way to 100 degrees, yeah. and you know, taking care of. We're now expanding. You know, obviously, we've been in the deer business and the turkey business for years, but really going to expand more in the western. 
you know, really more athletic stretch performance type fabrics to uh, to waterfowl to to even upland. We're going to start, uh, you know, we're going to see us expand into all those. So um, I think our waterfowl stuff is very much tip of the spear, uh, you know, as good as anything on the market. But if you look at the best waterfowl apparel on the market, you'll find the difference you'll find between, you know, what you may consider the best duck hunting or best goose hunting waterfowl jacket on the market versus ours is the price and that's it and you know we're we're a brand our nomad brand is you know what we consider an every man's brand um now with that being said we we're not big enough to uh or mean enough to offer walmart prices because you know walmart buys at a level where they buy a hundred thousand units at a time we don't have that ability we don't have you know, thousands of retail stores where we can do that. That's why, you know, that those mass chain dealers can get such a better price. But, you know, we think that we're building what we consider better to best product on the market at an affordable price that won't break the bank. Well, and I mean, I think people who have been loyal to the brand since, uh, since the first launch uh, appreciate and get that. But to your point, the quality is... Yeah, man. The whole thing's completely different. If you were if you were buying bottomland turkey pants when Nomad first launched, oh yeah, versus and now. Versus now, I mean, yeah, it's, that's night and day. And you know, technology's getting better. It's and, great. And also, you know, we're getting we're getting better prices because we're yeah. bigger and we're buying more. And that's just kind of how the game works. And when you're in the apparel business or really any other business, but yeah, man, what's you know, we listen to folks and uh, we listen to consumers. And you know, I, I, I take a big point. People call me all the time. They're like, "Oh man, you didn't do this camo pattern, or why aren't you making cotton camo pants?" And I'll tell you exactly why. Because the way that cotton and the technologies and things that we're using now is when you wash them, they fade. Yeah. And hunters don't like that. They don't like it if their camouflage gets faded. So that's sure. why we're not. That's why I, I quit doing cotton. Uh, you know, quit doing cotton because the, this day and age, cotton. Back in the back in the late eighties, when uh, when Jim Crumley had tree bark camouflage, and when Toxie Hayes was starting Mossy Oak, and Bill Jordan was starting Real Tree, you know they were printing fa- they were printing on colored fabrics. So mm-hmm. when you washed it, that fabric would you know not really fade. This day and age, those camo companies have different technologies, and they have um, you know either they can uh, they can transfer heat dye transfer. On polyesters, which everything you see here for the most part is heat dye transferred. Mm. What that means is like taking a like the old back when we were little kids and you'd want to put a Superman uh, yeah. emblem on your t shirt and your mom took an iron and put it on there. That's how camouflage gets on polyesters. Mm. Now, the wet print process is a little bit different, and these camo patterns are a lot more advanced than they were back yeah. when it was just tree bark, bottom land, and real tree original. Um, and those had to be wet dyed. Well, now the, you know with the advanced treatment, the camouflage companies want their more modern camo patterns to pop. So you had to do that on white cotton, and you know after you wash that a bunch of times, it fades. So that's just a great example of man. I got tired of consumers telling me my pants faded, and you know what? We even made our MG turkey vest, which has been now on the market four years. We had one little uh, friction call pocket. It had elastic. It's got elastic on it, and it works great for people if they run two calls in it. But if they only put one call, it doesn't have enough space to pop open. And mm-hmm. a lot of people complain to me about that. So for 2022, we didn't need to, but instead we just changed it. We had to change the style number. When you do something, you got to change the style numbers, the UPCs, everything in your systems. Mm-hmm. We put a buckle on it to make it a little little bit better. So we're constantly striving. 
you know, honestly, we're never going to be perfect, uh, and nor have we built our defining piece of garments. But we're constantly trying to come up. Like this morning, we were fishing. You're like, hold up, man! Y'all came out with two new turkey vests this spring, and you're coming out with another one next spring. And I was like, yep. I said, yeah. Just wait till you see it. You'll see why. <laughs> So I hope, hopefully, we'll have those. Let's just uh, keep our fingers crossed that the nothing goes wrong with the supply chain, and they show up as I expect them to show up in in January, early February, and we'll be launching them at the NWTF convention in Nashville. Oh yeah, which by will. the way, let's talk about that. Let's talk about conventions. Are you looking forward to it, man? You know what? I really am. It's like my Christmas time. I get to see. I, I'll tell you stories about NWTF convention. I went to my first NWTF convention in 1996. All right. I'm a freshman in college. I've at that time I'd watched all the hunting videos, and man, I was a fan of the Toxie Haze of the world and the uh, and the Will Primos of the world and the Paul Butskys and the Matt Moretts and you know Eddie Salter. And I'm like, man, I'm Dick Kirby and Chris Kirby. I'm like, man, I, I'm going to go to the NWTF convention. And I walk in that I don't know a soul. I do not know. It was in Atlanta, Georgia that year before mm. it started just going all the time to back back before you worked for NWTF. Yeah. Back when I was still in college and I had hair and abs <laughs> and stuff like, you know, I'd go to the NWTF as a broke college kid. And one year it was in Columbus, Ohio. One year it was in Charlotte. One year it was in Atlanta. They used to switch it up back in the day. And obviously, now it's in Nashville, which could not be a better place, which we'll talk about Nashville here in a little bit. But, man, I walk in the door, and there is, I don't know, a, I do not know one person other than I know them from TV. But, sure. You know, this is before the Internet. This is before social media, before any of them. And so even more inaccessible. Not completely yeah, inaccessible. Yeah. These guys were like my heroes to yeah. me. And I walk in. Not everyone was nice. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's some very well-known turkey hunting celebrities that were not cool to me that day, but a m- bunch of them were, like Toxie Hayes, man. He like went out of his way. Never forget, he was wearing a fall foliage blazer, and I'm like, Mr. Hayes, I'm a big fan of your camo. Da, da, da. And Mark Drury was there. He was cool. A couple others weren't. Eddie Salter was great. You know, Matt Moret was great, and Chris and Dick Kirby were cool. There were a couple others that weren't that cool, but anyhow. With that being said, I'm just enamored, man. It's all the turkey calls and all the gear, all these famous people and everybody. And it's looking like everybody knows everybody, and I'm nobody, man. I'm a little 19-year-old kid. Like, my gosh. With that being said, now I go to the NWTF convention. Let's see how many years later. 25. Man, I'm getting old. 26 years later. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, damn, I just completely threw my age right there. Anyhow. Going to the NWTF convention now for 26 years, and it's like a family reunion. Mm-hmm. And now I go to Nashville, and I run into my buddies that make their living in country music that and songwriting and producers and ex- working for record, and they show up. And all my buddies from the hunting industry that I've been hanging out with for 20 years, and then college buddies of mine come up, and then... Like my nephew from here in my hometown comes up, and I run into buddies I played high school football with that gather there every year. And then even one year, like my cousin came, and he doesn't even turkey hunt. He just likes he just came to party and have a good time and ended up engaging his wife there. And then my best <laughs> friend from college who hadn't turkey hunted in 25 years showed up. But it's such a – at least for, for me, and it's this way for very – it's just kind of – it's kind of like a – it's like a reunion. It's like the most amazing shopping venue. <laughs> yeah. And if you like nightlife, well, let me tell you something. Nashville, Tennessee, 
is about the best that there is, in my opinion. And it's my favorite city in the country. Gaylord Opry Lane's great. And you know what? It sucked that we couldn't have the convention next year. Now, you know, with me serving on the foundation board, I got to do some business. And obviously, it's a big deal for our Nomad brand to showcase all our products. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just so many different, uh, so many different levels of my life from. You know, from everything from family to high school to college yeah. to my professional industry to my passion to outfitters to everything's all wrapped up in one place. And uh, you just mix a little bourbon with that. And it's a hell of a good time. <laughs> and Nashville's open for business. Buddy, it is. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. I was in Nashville, Tennessee in July. I was visiting my good buddy, Bobby Pinson, who's a songwriter, and my buddy, Tommy Tormolin, who works for Mossy Oak Brand Camo. And we went down. Uh, we had a couple nights uh, to hang out. I had a couple couple free days. And we went down there. And my favorite hangout in Nashville is called the Loser's Bar. <laughs> and I got to hang out down there. And you know some of the bartenders are my friends. And I'll tell you what. Nashville is open for business, and I tell you what, the people just being hinned up for you know hunkered down for COVID, it just has made Nashville just like an amazing wonderland. Like it's uh, man, it's hopping right now. It's hopping more so than it's ever been. And I tell you what, if you if you like country music, if you like hunting, if you like conservation, if you like if you like nightlife, come to Nashville. The second week of February to the NWTF convention, and I promise you will have a good time whether you turkey hunt or you don't turkey hunt or anything. It's mm. a blast. Absolute a- blast. As of this recording session, and I suspect this will likely air sometime mid-October, so a couple couple weeks from now, roughly, um, I think we're, we're at half capacity or more than half capacity well, sold out already. Already. Oh, my gosh. Well, so... I need it's to make happening. sure. Yeah, I need Get to make sure. <laughs> yeah, I need to make sure and book my room. So, if I haven't done it already, I think somebody was supposed to do that around here. But I better double check on that. But yeah, go ahead and just make plans to come. It's Valentine's weekend. Bring your sweetheart. No. Bring your kids. It's a. I mentioned. You know, it sounds like a big party and everything. But no, it's a family atmosphere. There's so much to do at Gaylord. If you have kids, they got like. I've not been to it, but apparently there's like this awesome swimming area. Yeah, I've heard of it. And if you like the turkey hunt and you've not been to the NWTF convention, you're doing yourself a disservice because you will find you'll find something. Now, if you like to shop and buy turkey hunting gear, it's absolutely the best place to go to. But it's just it's just overall fun, and there's so many good people there. And I've there's people that I literally see every year at NWTF convention, and that's the only place I see. I might yeah. text them throughout the year, but. You know, that's it. And I've met friends there. And I've been invited on turkey hunts there. And it's great if you're a traveling turkey hunter to network. For sure. I mean, you can meet people. And some being people are friendly. Nobody's standoffish. It's just, man, it's just overall cool time. And there's so much to do in Nashville. I mean, great food, great music, great nightlife. Just overall just it's a, such a great event so i'm so much looking forward to it my only problem is we got in the hunting industry you know kind of most folks some folks may realize this but the hunting industry is really the busiest months it's starting right now because right yeah. now is when we start selling product for the fall but like the hunting industry and part of my if you're in sales or marketing in the hunting industry the months of january and february are just trade show trade show trade show yeah. trade show so unfortunately i have some conflicts overlapping that i hope uh Hope my coworkers let me stay in Nashville that whole week. But there's a couple years ago, I had to get on flights and fly to one city for a day and come back to Nashville and leave and go to another meeting. But 
Nashville is a big time. You and I have had some good times here over the year, Fred. Indeed, we have. And many other NWTF employees yeah. have as well. And we're, <laughs> we're not going to go into a lot of those details. <laughs> what is remarkable about the event and you, you started alluding to it is you know you talked about you know the celebrity of you know some of these folks um you know those stalwarts are there they show up right uh and then in the crowd there's legit you know celebrity sports figures and that's what i love about turkey hunting and i've said it before and i'll continue to say this is that it's the great equalizer it's oh, accessible yeah. for every man and woman and child to go out with with the means to get there Right? It's not like a, a trophy whitetail hunt or having to go out in big sky country and go after elk. Not everyone can do that, but there's turkeys in 49 states. We can all do this. So, you know, we talked about baseball players and football players, oh, yeah. you know, that are, uh, you take the uniform off and they're just turkey hunters. Absolutely. Just yeah. like us. <laughs> so, uh, a few years ago, I, I was at our Nomad booth at NWTF convention and I'm looking around and there's Trent Cole. And Trent Cole was an all pro defensive end with the Philadelphia Eagles. And then hanging out in a booth is Ryan Klesko, former World Series, you know, f- former World Series champion with in Major League Baseball with the Atlanta Braves. And I look over and there's my buddy, uh, there's my buddy Preston, who's the lead singer of Low Cash. Mm-hmm. And then here comes Bobby Pinson, who's written number one hit songs for, you know, Eric Church and Jason Aldean and all these people. And then there's my good buddy cutting up with him, who works at a factory in Kentucky. And then there's a buddy of mine that played uh, high school football with who's a lineman hmm. for you know power company. And then here's my nephew that you know drives a track that runs a tractor and drives heavy equipment for a living. And yeah, you know, yeah, it's you're right, man. It really is. There's there's billionaires that go to that thing, and yeah. there's people that are nearly on poverty. And man, you know what, man, turkey hunting it really is. I've met, I've been so fortunate throughout my career and it's it's all hunting but turkey hunting in particular has taken me places and got me to meet some absolutely amazing people Mm -hmm. celebrities billionaires to people that are completely on the poverty level and you know what all of them there's people that it doesn't matter how much money they have it's you know they have a passion of chasing a wild turkey and they're absolutely all good people and I mean, yeah, you put the really is. the status of NWTF member in front of those people's names oh, behind yeah. them. You, you know what you're getting, like the billionaire to the the guy pushing the broom, just making ends meet. If you ask, they'll open your house, their house to you, which is the craziest thing. Oh yeah, I mean, it's wonderfully crazy. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. But that's, that's the generosity of, of the people that we get to interact with throughout no, the year. Absolutely, yeah. For the mo- for the most part, you know, most turkey hunters are, eh, you know, most turkey hunters are. Uh, it's a special special breed. Like Archibald Rutledge, you know, longtime writer and uh, poet laureate for the state of South Carolina. Um, and I, I I may not be quoting him exact, but uh, you know, I have to look it up. And 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 one of his. One of his quotes, he's talking about turkey hunting. He's you know, one of the first writers that really wrote about turkey hunting stories. Mm-hmm. And he, actually, Archibald Rutledge, uh, his Hampton Plantation, which he wrote, writes about so much, is about 20 miles from right where we're sitting. Mm-hmm. You know, he wrote a great quote that he's like, you know, some men are mere hunters, others are turkey hunters. And it's, <laughs> it's, it is. It's just another level. So Sounds like a new Nomad graphic TV tea waiting to come out. Yeah, yeah. I have to figure out how to license it from his estate or something like that. But <laughs> Well, I mean, lots to look forward to. 
and I, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm here in his office, and uh, as I look around and a lot of the stuff, uh, there's there's lots to be excited about, and um, definitely make your way to the Nomad booth uh, in Nashville and get your hands on all of it, take a look at it. Um, I can't wait for people to see that vest. Yeah, man, it's gonna be cool. What the, besides the vest, you got a, a another one, another item you're particularly uh, stoked about? Ah, man, we got some really cool stuff. We got some new lightweight pants coming out next spring. Uh, we're bringing back uh, mossy oak greenleaf, which was a turkey hunting. Uh, 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 we we got we we did away with it for one year. It was a mistake. So we, we're bringing it back. Yeah, we lost. I've definitely heard about it. It's my favorite pattern, but. You know, sometimes in business, anytime you add an extra camo pattern, it's a major investment. And it costs a lot of money when you you have to make factory minimums. And if you make Mm. if you make seven hundred and fifty or a thousand pieces and you make 10 pieces, all of a sudden, you know, you got 10,000 pieces and you multiply that by the cost of that. That's Mm. a lot. of That's a big investment. So adding one new camo pattern to a product line is a big deal. And we got rid of it. And it's it's funny this spring. We, you know, part of my. Part of my role um, within the company, at least in the springtime, has been to do some Facebook lives, and that, that really got started during COVID to kind of uh, justify my existence as an employer around here. <laughs> well, we, we, you know, so I could sneak out of the office a little bit. I said, hey, you know, I'm gonna do a, um, you know, Facebook lives from here and here. And really, the first big one we did was in Nevada, and um, I was turkey hunting with my good buddy Mike Tussie from Florida, and. Uh, my fr- uh, my friend Kyle Alt from Virginia and uh, and uh, my buddy Perry Cremens from California and my buddy Ian Nicely from here in South Carolina. So we got a mixed bag, guys from all over the country. And I was like, all right, guys, we need this Facebook Live. <laughs> they were not at all excited that we had to do it. <laughs> and literally, so we're all wearing our new Mossy Oak Shadowleaf, our old new pattern that's you know all cool looking and everything. And you know, literally the first message that came across is some guys like why did you not, why don't you have green leaf <laughs> he just started ripping us a new one on like on our facebook live and i'm like yeah so yeah. i heard about that a lot but anyhow you, you try to make everybody happy but sometimes you can't but but yeah man thank you for coming here it's, it's obviously we're i'm excited I, I'm, I'm so you know I, I get so geeked out talking about all our new nomad product and obviously yeah. the hook side is just gorgeous it's just you know getting to another level of stuff but you know we've been we've been evolving as a company and just getting better and better we're not perfect yet um but you know we're trying to trying to get better and if anybody you know anybody out there listening if they're curious about nomad and i can assure you that the people designing this product the people selling this product um the people making this product we are hardcore hunters and we're just trying to make it better and if it's not good we're not going to try to sell it to you or if it's not good and we get enough uh you know if if it's not if it's not a good product if it doesn't perform we're not gonna we're not gonna keep selling it we're gonna get rid of it so it's great to be here it's exciting to see uh the growth literally uh physically the space is Oh, yeah, grown man. so much and uh you know you guys are job creators there's so many more people here and oh yeah um, absolutely it's uh it's awesome and i'm glad we have you as uh as partners as as supporters yeah, like the whole thing it's just uh not 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 every space gets to say that yeah have the same no, absolutely behind it. it's not just um you know something just to get people to come spend money on your stuff yeah no absolutely no it's, it's no, absolutely not it's uh you know our uh uh, Devin, who you know, he is at one time. His t- he's now, I think, our executive vice president of sales. He was our EVP of merchandise and product. And he goes, if I build it and Jason Hart will wear it, 
Uh, he's my toughest critic because I'm unfortunately I, I'm well not unfortunately fortunately for the consumer and for the product that if our product team builds a product and I find something wrong with it I'm gonna let them know mm. and you, that's what you got to do to be better I mean we if there's a stitch that's wrong or if there's a color that's wrong or if there's a buckle that's shiny on a turkey vet no we're not coming to market with that we're gonna do everything we can to change it and uh, you know we're we're not scared to you know we make little tiny tweaks that you may or may not see and it may be box stitching as opposed to flat stitching which will keep that vest from falling apart mm. yeah you're 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 always going to have one product that's going to fail on you i mean it's just going to happen or you know some you're going to rip your turkey vest on barbed wire crossing a fence or doing something but you know if it's anything major we're going to change it and we're going to try to make it better just because you know i'm a consumer i'm i'm you know i, I joke around i'm the ultimate consumer if you yeah. look at my i'm moving this weekend into my log cabin <laughs> and i've got to unload a storage unit that's got about 25 years worth of camouflage and hunting gear and things like that so i'm literally like the ultimate consumer if i see something cool made by another brand i'm buying it and i'm yeah. gonna wear it <laughs> and you know i tell folks you know one of my sales features is like you know like for example we have a, uh, a fingerless turkey glove and we've got a, a turkey hunting face mask and i flat out tell our buyers i said if there was a better turkey hunting glove and on the market then i would wear it and then i'd probably knock it off but yeah. there's not literally so i mean that's what <laughs> that's what we're striving for and yeah. you know we look I'm, I'm not scared to say it we look at we look at good product that was out on the market 20 plus years ago and 25 years ago and we look at good product that's out on the market now and it's like, all right, this product, I love this jacket 25 years ago. What was great about it? Mm. How is house technology changed now that we can build it? And how can we redo it? You know, for example, wool. Wool's awesome. We're launching wool this fall for the first time. And I showed you a big, we've got a heavy piece called a Dura wool, which is 350 grams. That thing's going to be great. Lovely. Is any of that new technology? Absolutely not. It's wool. But we looked at all the different wools on the market. Hey, how can we change? How can we make that wool more durable? Let's put pockets up top for the duck hunter. So when he's wearing his waiter, he can keep his hands warm. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we've got all of our white tail and all of our waterfowl products. We've got a high pile fleece in the pockets like i call a teddy bear fleece to keep your hands warm so it's just little stuff like that and there devin just walked by speaking of and made a funny face at me he's taking a picture oh, so. tell him to come on in jump yeah. on the mic yeah he's uh he's 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 being shy he's been <laughs> he's working too hard it is friday evening so uh like i say we've got a lot of a lot of hard workers here so folks think i'm playing hooky and, and being on a podcast <laughs> instead of selling something today so but i appreciate y'all coming to the masses everyone's yeah. gonna get to hear this well, all over the, well, the land. I, I appreciate uh, you and Jason uh, from NWTF coming in town today because it kept me from doing my regular job, which <laughs> is selling and uh, and trying to push our reps to, to sell more and working on product and working on very mundane spreadsheets, which I absolutely hate. Yeah, sounds like so, a blast. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having us in. It was a. Uh, it's been fun. It's been a nice chance getting to see in person not just text. yeah fred absolutely well man it's uh it has been i think we've gone all over the place with this podcast from talking about turkey populations it. to we rambled quite a bit i like rambling yeah man absolutely. it's just proof positive this isn't a scripted deal no this isn't scripted you have nothing written down i don't <laughs> think you asked me one like scripted questions i've been on podcasts which were no. completely scripted and this was just you and me bsing that's so. that's the beauty of this and that's the point uh, of, of this whole product, right, is to tell stories of everybody from business owners to, you know, people I was out with in Indiana last week and telling their story about their yeah, family man. and their hunt camp. This well, is, it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, you'll be good at it, Fred. This is going to be a cool it. podcast. And obviously, I've known you for a while. And uh, I think 
you know, obviously with NWTF's marketing support, I think it'll do good. And obviously NWTF has an absolute ridiculous Rolodex of potential guests and yeah. interesting folks. And, uh, and yeah, it'll do good. And I'm honored to, uh, you were for me to be on my here. first guest on the uh, little upstart one I had a handful of years ago before yeah. uh, my first run with NWTF and well you're almost one here but you're number yeah. one you're number well, one here thank you uh, unfortunately <laughs> you know I guess I got apparently Cuz Strickland beat me so Cuz <laughs> you're welcome buddy so but yeah I, I remember that first podcast I was turkey I was trying to kill a turkey in Delaware. It took me three times going to Delaware before I finally killed one. I missed Turkey, I, Delaware. I was cursed at missing in Delaware. But anyhow, I did that. Um, I did that first podcast. I think it was. It would have been four, probably four years ago. I think it was 2017. Mm-hmm. And I did that podcast in my white pickup truck that had 285,000 miles at the time, sitting in the Harrington, Delaware Motel Six. <laughs> I remember that distinctively, and my truck was a lot cleaner than the inside of that hotel. So I was doing the podcast from my truck, and you know there were some uh, very peculiar people walking down the road there in Harrington, Delaware, at nine o'clock at night. I recall very vividly. So uh, I think the, the the sound quality you've you've obviously upgraded your uh, yeah. your podcast uh, your podcast equipment. And yeah, I think this office is a little quieter. So good acoustics in Hart's office. Yeah, it's because I got a bunch of nice apparel, I guess, that, that creates acoustics. Sound-absorbing, fluffy, wonderful hunting equipment. Hart, thanks for having us in. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks the hospitality. Fred. Hey, man, absolutely. My pleasure. We certainly appreciate it. And, you know, we're looking forward at Nomad to uh, helping out in NWTF any way we can. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much to Jason Hart for having us in. Uh, great conversation, plenty to think about there. Um, certainly could have gone on for many more hours and, and talked about so much more. Uh, one cool uh, story we didn't even get to, uh, and he'd probably laugh at me for even covering it, but the South Carolina uh, House, the legislative body, um, they had a House resolution commemorating Hearts 49 State Super Slam. It's pretty cool, man. It's, and it's all uh, it's there in his office. We'll uh, we'll post a picture of it. But uh, real deal, all uh, foil sealed and yeah. So not only was this cool for uh, the turkey community, the turkey hunting community at large, but uh, the legislative body, South Carolina, also thought it was cool enough to to make a house resolution. So. <clears throat> one more congrats to, to Hart on such a, an accomplishment uh, and one that is well-deserved and in good spirit. So uh, good stuff there. Uh, guys, thanks for so much for tuning in. Thanks for being with us and, and having us along for your day. Plenty going on in the world of NWTF locally. Uh, make sure you get in touch with your your regional directors, uh, your your biologists, foresters. If you want to get involved, if there's something you thought think can get done, you want to be part of that reach out uh, plenty of opportunities uh, to to get in touch with us to do some great work in your communities um, and in your states so be well guys we'll see you out there